Have you been behaving inappropriately again? Then report to tight pants on Friday afternoons after school. Detention starts at 3 o'clock sharp, but don't be tardy, or you'll receive stiff punishment. Dancing. Don't be upset, Mrs. Fishball. Puberty brings on strange behavior in adolescence. Okay, well, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters. Good evening. My name is Dick Whaley. And uh, Jim Dwyer. And Gray Matters, of course, is the news and media talk show. Probably do a little bit of review of the year 2008. Among other things. Uh, and good riddance to 2008. Yeah, I mean, every year has good things and bad. Uh, 2008 seemed particularly rich in extremes. Yes. In both. <laughs> I think it was pretty much a bad year for everybody except uh, Barack Obama and Tina Fey, <laughs> <laughs> who won an incredible uh, senior editor at the uh, New York Review of, uh, or the uh, National Review claimed after the first debate that the big loser tonight was Tina Fey. Not. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, satire uh, may not always be well-received. Hers was particularly well-received, and some people might think that she actually had a fairly substantial impact on people's uh, Palin attitudes. But uh, satire may not always be immediately understood, but it always prevails. And, of course, with Palin uh, at the helm, they barely needed to write anything. But, yeah, I mean, uh, worst year for the stock market since 1931. I mean, think about that. Anybody under the age of 77, that's that's remarkable. And uh, home, homeowners equity uh, hit a new low, basically uh, dropping below 50% for the first time on record. Uh, the Federal Reserve actually reported this back in March of last year, and of course the housing crisis has worsened. Uh, even today we saw staggering uh, declines in the auto industry. Uh, Chrysler down 53%. And those folks, by the way, are having a month vacation. Uh, they've been furloughed at the Chrysler Corporation. Um, GM came in with the best numbers at 31.4%, down 31.4%. So no end in sight for those problems. And uh, Bar Barack Obama um, put it well today that the economy is bad and, quote, getting worse. And I'm paraphrasing there. Anyway, um, let's give out a brain damage award to the scientists that added a leap second. I don't know if you heard about this. I'm sure it was a conspiracy by Dick Cheney and George Bush to remain in office for one more second. <laughs> uh, this, of course, was some interesting scientific adjustment of our clocks. A little unclear what the impact of it was, but uh, I guess if you did a hiccup after your champagne toast right around New Year's Eve, you didn't miss anything. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have a leap year everyone's yeah. every four years to keep the calendars in balance and so forth. I mean, you can break any unit down to an infinitesimal scale, but uh, a leap second does seem to be uh, a little needless, superfluous. Yeah, fascinating. In the long run, though, those seconds. <laughs> those seconds. Uh, yeah, it was the incompatibility of the cesium clock that apparently, uh, I didn't know this, but I heard this on the BBC, is actually kept in France. And uh, the solar uh, 
calendar, apparently the Earth is and its revolutions is slowing just ever so slightly. Um, maybe that's due to all the carbon dioxide uh, that we're putting into the air as well as all of the manure that's ending up on the ground. Well, speaking of manure, um, George Bush, you know, this Gaza um, business, which of course happened... Uh, well, it's 10 days now it's going yeah. on. And now we have a ground operation. Strikes me as a classic example of timing. Um, I think they wanted to get this in while Bush was still president since they knew that he would uh, sit in the White House and continue to fiddle while Palestine burns. And, of course, this is a serious problem. It's interesting that the European Union is being far more proactive, uh, really, than the United States in, in terms of trying to get a ceasefire organized. But it was interesting. Uh, the Nation magazine, uh, th this is in the uh, January 5th, 2009 edition, but this was published well before the invasion of, uh, of Gaza and the bombing. And, of course, this is um, a humanitarian disaster that's only going to get worse. And I doubt that we will uh, see a ceasefire anytime soon. But it's interesting uh, that the Nation magazine in the January 5th edition, uh, 2009, reported that Richard Falk, the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in the Occupied Palestinian t Territories, was uh, detained by the Israeli government when he arrived at Ben-Gurion Air Airport on December 14th on official UN business, expelling him after a 24-hour detention. Falk, an international expert on law and nation editorial board member, has for years been a courageous voice for calling for the end of uh, the Israeli occupation. No doubt the Israeli government was enraged by his recently released official statement titled, Silence is Not an Option, in which he condemned the, quote, cruelty and unlawfulness of the Gaza blockade imposed by Israel as a policy of collective punishment that constitutes a continuing flagrant and massive violation of international law and a crime against humanity. Falk called on the UN to implement in its, quote, responsibility to protect doctrine for an investigation by the ICC and for the, the potential indictment of Israeli civilian and military leaders. In response to his, uh, the Israeli government accusations that Falk was biased in favor of the Palestinians, that his mandate was inherently imbalanced, and that he was, quote, legitimizing Hamas terrorism and drawing shameful comparisons to the Holocaust, Falk told the nation, quote, my denial of entry is part of a broader pattern designed to obscure the realities of the occupation by keeping qualified observers from getting out and getting in. Israel has been playing a mind game with respect to me and others, shifting attention as much as possible to the observer and away from what is observed. I have consistently condemned Hamas's use of rockets against civilian targets. I never compared the crimes against humanity in Gaza to the Nazi atrocities. I never asserted that the Holocaust waiting to happen in Gaza was comparable or similar to the Nazi Holocaust. 
but only that the reliance on collective punishment on such a scale had a disturbing resemblance to Nazi practices. This reported by Roanne Carey, and I think it's interesting because... Of course, we've seen the Bush administration fall back into the uh, usual rhetorical nonsense about the war on terror. Of course, the uh, rockets uh, fired by Hamas are indeed um, atrocities. But uh, the, the problem with this whole situation in Gaza at the moment is the disproportionality and the inherent unwillingness of the Bush administration while the rest of the world is, uh, I think, for the most part, uh, coming to a consensus about what needs to happen. Um, falling back, you know, it's interesting how, how much of the rhetoric used by the Israeli government in the last uh, 10 days or so has, has resembled um, the Bush linguistics. Dissembling. Dissembling uh, that were used in the war on terror. And Condoleezza Rice in particular is... Uh, continues to amaze. Here's a good example. This is from an article in today's Ann Arbor News about that sort of dissembling use of language here. It's from the Associated Press by Ibrahim Barzak and Amy Tebel. And um, read the last three paragraphs here. Civilian casualties have spiked since Israel launched a ground offensive Saturday following a week of punishing airstrikes of about 80 Palestinians killed during the ground operation. At least 70 were civilians, according to... Uh, Dr. Moya, a health official at the Gaza Hospital, um, continuing, if civilians are killed, oh, excuse me, um, yeah, uh, the article continues, if civilians are killed, then Hamas is to blame because it operates within civilian areas, said an Israeli military spokeswoman. Major Leibovich, uh, continuing the quote, if Hamas choose cynically to use these civilians as human shields, then Hamas should be accountable. When you're dropping bombs on buildings, uh, this is a very dense area. Uh, a lot of people live in Gaza. And so uh, the idea that human shields are being exploited there is uh, a stretch. Um, it's also surprising to hear arguments that this is good for uh, Ehud Barak's political career. Israeli elections coming up. Kadima party needs a little boost. Yeah, which is probably part of the explanation, in addition to the fact that I think Israel knew that uh, that the the Obama administration, while certainly not a neutral, uh, shall we say, uh, arbiter of the dispute, which uh, it, it continues to be a myth. I mean, the United States simply cannot and does not have credibility operating as a, quote, arbiter of this dispute. The United States does have the power to stop uh, what's happening. Uh, it merely takes, um, well, some backbone <laughs> that George Bush, of course, throughout his uh, entire life has never shown any. Well, but this is unfortunately sort of like, you know, uh, spears against guns. <laughs> Only it's, you know... Right. Well, these missiles, I mean, you look at the... 
and, and of course, not to defend the missiles because shooting missiles at people is wrong. That's, you know, pretty basic standard uh, ethical matter there. However, if you look at, as you mentioned before, proportionality, uh, the number of Israelis killed by the missiles is single digits. Yeah, I think it was four. Yeah. And, and, and it's been now reported that the total uh, deaths uh, in, in Gaza are over 500. And I mean, that's remarkable uh, proportions there. And uh, it seems like there must be a cheaper way for Israel to defend against these missiles. They, they're not that high tech. No. It would be fairly simple, you'd think, given the large uh, military budget which Israel enjoys, um, to set up some sort of stations, you know, anti-aircraft tower positions, shooting down these cheap missiles uh, that uh, Hamas somehow still, despite 10 days of uh, attack, uh, have access to. And the missiles haven't stopped at any point during this uh, conflict. Yeah, and I think one of the other troubling rhetorical devices that the Israeli government has used is this phrase, send a message. I don't know, you know, send a message in a bottle, whatever. (laughs) This is beyond sending a message. I think that... uh, you know, there needs to be a substantive uh, ceasefire, a termination of uh, uh, of the operation. But uh, this, unfortunately, is not going to happen. It's uh, sort of a fait accompli and probably um, was utilized by the Israeli government partially because of upcoming elections. But partially, I think, to, you know, create a sort of fait accompli that I'll forces the Obama administration to, to deal with new facts on the ground. Exactly. And one of the things you're hearing people say is that, well, from Israel, uh, with Hamas, there's no one to talk to. And, of course, this was the old argument uh, that Israel would posit against a negotiation with Palestinians, you know, through the decades, not recognizing the PLO as a equal bargaining partner because of their terror practices. While Hamas's political party wins elections, uh, do have certain demands, have agreed to and abided by, to some extent, uh, ceasefires. Um, Israel's violated ceasefires as well, so that's certainly not a monopoly for Hamas to violate a ceasefire. But um, And of course, on the broader, quote, war on terror... Um a phrase, in, interestingly, by the way, that the British government um, over a year ago uh, rejected as useless. Um, of course, back then, Bush was calling it the global war on terror. But I did hear one uh, Palestinian um, intellectual note that uh, Hezbollah did not exist before the Lebanese invasion of 1982. So... <laughs> Where does Hamas come from? Right? Yeah, this, the, you know, the, the, the notion that this is somehow going to deal with the terrorism problem uh, in the long term, I think, is um, uh, ludicrous. And it's unfortunate that a lot of the linguistics that are being used, once again, are sort of a football uh, slow motion replay of, of previous problems that have beleaguered the United States and Israel with respect to the, quote, terrorism problem. Um, and uh, it's not surprising, unfortunately, that the Bush administration really is um, AWOL once again. Yeah, one little last item here, too, that uh, from the... Uh 
Foreign Press Association a statement that they've released about, uh, well, actually, a petition that they've put forward to Israel's high court demanding access to Gaza. Uh, since the start of the attacks, journalists have been barred from entering Gaza through Eretz Crossing, the only access point from Israel. And, of course, Israel's control over the economic lifelines of Gaza have been, you know, are part of the buildup to this. Uh, the quote is as follows from the Foreign Press Association. Never before have journalists been prevented from doing their work in this way. We believe it is vital that journalists be allowed to find out for themselves what is going on in Gaza. And that's a disturbing uh, notion there that... There's no media presence. And, of course, this is actually a, a playbook that um, Israel is copying from the United States. You'll recall that uh, when Reagan invaded Grenada back in 1983 as part of the, um, shall we say, diversion. The feel-good maneuver of, of yeah, the year. To end the Vietnam syndrome after the, you know, two days after the um, truck bombing in um, Beirut. Uh, in October of 83, mm. the uh, U.S. military devoted more of its personnel to keeping the media out than the actual invasion of Grenada, which, of course, um, was not a heavily armed country. <laughs> I think the uh, GNP ratio of the United States to Gr Grenada was something like 50,000 to 1. Um, though there are some rumors that there may be oil in the region. Dick Cheney is probably um, getting ready to row that way. <laughs> See if he can strike it big. Um, so, yeah, this is just a, another troubling firecracker that the Bush administration, um, through negligence and ignorance and lack of that vision thing... <laughs> Is handing off to Obama, who uh, certainly is inheriting one of the worst managed administrations in American history, if not the worst. It's it's just incomprehensible at, at times when you contemplate how bad George Bush has been as CEO of the United States. Well, perhaps in some distant future. I have yet to see this film, so I can't make a, you know, a proper evaluation of it. But at some future date, perhaps, America will look at the Oliver Stone W film as some sort of vast comedy, a comic response. Did you end up seeing that in the end? I didn't see it. It, it came out at kind of a bad time, and I actually missed my opportunity uh, this week, this past week, at the Michigan Theater, because I noticed it was playing one, one day in the afternoon, but it was sort of bad timing once again on my part. But uh, I've enjoyed Oliver Stone's work over the years. Um, my comic relief over the holidays was was reading Outlaw Journalist, a biography of Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. A very good... Uh, very good book written by a scholar, and I think a lot of that book was uh, utilized in the uh, movie that came out last year called Gonzo. Yeah, that's now out on DVD. But my favorite section in the uh, in the book was uh, a reprinting, more or less, of the obituary that that, uh, that, that of Nixon <laughs> that Hunter S. Thompson wrote after Nixon uh, died uh, that he apparently had already written. 
And uh, upon hearing the news of uh, Nixon's demise, apparently he was in New Orleans hanging out with Ed Bradley and the historians Doug Brinkley and Stephen Ambrose. Uh, knowing Hunter S. Thompson, he was uh, pounding a few. And um, apparently he uh, went and opened up a couple of bars and shouted out, Nixon's dead. Anybody want to do some acid? <laughs> but my favorite line from the uh, from the obituary, amongst others, uh, was he at one point said, Nixon was so crooked that he needed servants to screw his pants on in the morning. <laughs> and the image of Nixon with legs so tightly corked up th that were actually in corkscrews. I could just picture the servants screwing those pants on. Um... And uh, by the way, the the Oliver Stone movie Nixon is a, an underrated work, in my opinion. Um, yeah, there's some good performances in that as well. Yeah, Anthony uh, Anthony Hopkins uh, always delivers. Uh, maybe some comic relief is forthcoming. Uh, late breaking news that Al Franken has been officially declared the winner in the mighty state of Minnesota. Uh, winning by something like 255 votes, and apparently Norm, Storm and Norm Coleman has a week to file a lawsuit to prevent this from happening. Well, you can be sure that that'll happen. I, this is going to be very uh, litigious, I think. Yeah, uh, but uh, I don't know. It sounds to me like the Minnesota, you know, the, 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 uh, the Secretary of State and the Board of Canvassers or whatever, all the people in charge of the elections, quite thoroughly counted and recounted. It's been a slow, careful vote. count. Yeah, and it's been a long time. I don't think you can criticize the process. Now, you know, who voted how and, and you know, what votes are going to be thrown out. It's interesting that uh, the Republicans in Congress are... Um, threatening not to allow Al Franken to be seated, but I thought they were the ones that... You won. mean they're going to have a hissy fit? They're going to have a hissy fit. <laughs> I'm sure they're afraid of Al Franken's uh, straight jacket project, where, of course, he was uh, proposing to uh, go into Congress and throw a few straight jackets <laughs> on a few of the members several years ago. Yeah, from his radio program, I think he made that... Uh observation but uh but let's hope he gets seated i think he will bring some comic relief to a, an otherwise very gloomy situation for the united states yeah it's interesting to to think that and we know why not i mean uh ronald reagan bad actor becomes president i mean there is a performance aspect to politics anyway oh yeah uh, certainly there are numerous celebrity politicians not just in america i mean mussolini's granddaughter was a you know flash-in-the-pan politician in Italy herself, so celebrity as politics is, is no big deal. Um, interesting to think back, though, on some of those, because as a writer for Saturday Night Live in the early years of that program, when it was still fairly biting, and with Dan Aykroyd, you'd get good Nixon satire sketches on there, and Al Franken wrote a number of those, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, one in particular where Aykroyd's... Uh, Nixon asks Belushi's Kissinger to join him in kneeling in prayer before the uh, portrait of Abraham Lincoln, which, according to Kissinger, is actually something that happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, the skit that they wrote around that is 
brilliant. I sure. mean, it's uh, it's really good political satire. So uh, I'm sure uh, Al Franken has uh, spent a couple of hours over the past weeks. It's been months of this uh, recount. Yeah. Um, watching uh, Jimmy Stewart's classic, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, to brace himself for, uh, I mean... Everybody loves that film for you know the charisma of Jimmy Stewart and the charming yay. Uh, uh, small town America is is gonna pull it together in the end. The the book that um, was it Nixon at the movies mm-hmm. that uh, came out a few years ago and we've talked about it a lot uh, privately. Uh, very excellent book. Uh, analysis of film has a really interesting article about Mr. Smith goes to Washington and says, well, it's not really the happy movie that everybody thinks of because it ends happily for Jimmy Stewart in the film. It's actually a fairly depressing movie about how crushing and, you know, brittle the system really can be. Yeah. And the the book, by the way, Nixon goes to the movies was a sort of deconstruction of the movies that Nixon watched right. while in office. And it's a fascinating list. Uh, Nixon had his favorites. Uh, he uh, was particularly fond of musicals. Uh, Around the World in 80 Days was the one that he watched the most. Oddly enough. And uh, Patton was his favorite movie. Yeah. Um, I think he had some sort of delusional thinking that he might be Patton, that he was a great <laughs> leader of men. General. That is an outstanding movie, by the way. Um, one of the great acting performances of all time, in my opinion, by George C. Scott. Yeah, and he declined the Oscar for that film. Which is... Saying something. Surprising. I mean, it, it, he was uh, he was brilliant in that movie. But, um, oh yeah, the, yeah, the list of, of Nixon's movies, just uh, fascinating. And, uh, yeah, the... Well, actually, uh, one of the movies that I don't think Nixon ever did watch, but that there's a really good article about in that book, is Double Indemnity, oh, yeah. in which he basically argues that this is a very Nixon-like film. Uh, the weird duplicity and the sort of paranoid voiceover. Uh, it's, a, it's a good book to uh, look at if you're interested in Nixon or movies. Yeah, and I'm sure he missed a few of the Kubrick classics. I yeah, I, I can't picture Nixon watching Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> I just don't think he uh, could have handled that film. I think he missed the Manchurian Candidate as, as well. Um, but uh, Nixon loved John Ford, by the way, and, and uh, occasionally you see a, a John Ford movie. I did see one interesting political movie over the holidays on TCM, and that was... Uh, um, Trying to think of the exact title of it now. It was it was basically Abra- it was it was a movie about Lincoln, an old movie with uh, Raymond Massey. Raymond Massey, yeah, it's Abraham a, Lincoln in, in Illinois. In, in Illinois, and it was an interesting movie because it goes into that kind of aw shucks humbleness that Abe Lincoln had as a uh, as a character, and I think it would be useful in this bicentennial year. You know, it's interesting that Poe. Yes. Um, Darwin and uh, Abraham Lincoln are all celebrating bicentennials this year. An interesting menagerie uh, for different reasons. I'm sure that the 
creation movement will be very troubled by uh, Charles Darwin being uh, celebrated. They just need to relax, smoke a little opium, and read some Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, that might help, and and maybe uh, check out some of the some of the Abe Lincoln movies because uh, I don't think there's any question that you know it's interesting how Obama is trying to sort of use Abe Lincoln as a kind of a paradigm for how he wants to operate the legend, you know, senator from Illinois. Yeah, certainly it's no secret that Abe Lincoln has sort of served as an almost mythological healing figure in our nation's history. I mean, the great emancipator. Uh, There's the statue of him unchaining a slave. You know, Mm -hmm. this, this never happened. But yet the image of it is something that the psyche of America needs to kind of get past the whole slavel, uh, evil of slavery. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the media picked up on it. The, the Obama campaign exploited it. Um, and there's obviously the Illinois connection there. But there are more films, Hollywood films, et cetera, made about Abe Lincoln than any other president. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, just knowing this from a graduate history course I took at the, at the University of Michigan, books on Abe Lincoln are guaranteed to sell. Um, yeah, actually, he, Edgar Lee Masters, the guy yeah. who wrote um, Spoon River Anthology, a very famous uh, early 20th century uh, poetry volume uh, from the American Midwest, sabotaged his career by writing a book that was critical of Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And many of them were legitimate critiques. Yeah, um, Lincoln, after all, is a politician, too, not just a beloved historical figure. Sure. And had practical and sometimes ugly decisions to make. Um, and the master's career was ruined as a poet for attacking or being seen to attack Lincoln. Yeah, and... and I would have, had I been an editor of him, advised him against that. (laughs) Um, It's hard to attack an icon like Abraham Lincoln um, simply for the fact that he was a a, a humble man. He was uh, perhaps our greatest character as as president in terms of how he developed his uh, political thinking and you know, when you contemplate that something as brilliant as the Gettysburg Address was basically written on the back of an envelope mm. um, on a train ride to Gettysburg uh, with those immortal words, um, he was unusual. And one of my favorite Lincoln quotes of all time is uh, he once said that uh, God must love ordinary people because he created so many of them. And I'm paraphrasing there. Um, so, yeah, if you get a chance to see that uh, young um, uh, Nixon in Illinois. At Lincoln. Lincoln. In, <laughs> Lincoln from Illinois, yeah. I uh, don't think Nixon would like it in Illinois very much. No. Damn that Mayor Daly. <laughs> and it was interesting, by the way, and uh, you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. Um. I think I just lost my train of thought. Oh, it was interesting, I thought, during the campaign, uh, you know, uh, uh, John McCain, you know, he he basically reached a point where he was just throwing bombs at a certain point because he he botched the campaign so badly uh, from the middle of September onward uh, due to that one gaffe where he claimed that the fundamentals of the economy were sound when obviously they weren't. And the media leaped on him for that. And this was 
basically the beginning of the real unraveling of the stock market and the realization that uh, a TARP a program would be in order. And, of course, there are mysteries remain about where some of that money is being spent. But anyway, I, th I thought it was interesting that when uh, McCain started attacking Obama as, quote, a Chicago politician... It was interesting how he went down in the polls in Wisconsin, in Iowa, in Illinois, mm. because that region of the country is uh, quite dependent on Chicago economically. And, of course, so many people have fond memories of Chicago for one reason or another that using that phrase, the Chicago politician, didn't work uh, for John McCain at all. No, it's been a couple of generations since that old machine. I yeah. mean, that's what they're referring to is the the Republican trope mm -hmm. of the, you know, oh, those Democrats and their backroom deals 